Psalm 51 and verse 6 reads, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Hebrews 4 and verse 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things. Somebody say all things. All things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Amen. Long time ago in 1897, a science fiction writer by the name of H.G. Wells wrote a book entitled The Invisible Man. The main character in this book, I've not read it, but from what I've uh, investigated, was a mad scientist who discovered the ability to make himself invisible and then proceeded to use that invisibility to do wicked things, to do bad things. As far back as the Greek philosopher Plato, some 500 years before Christ, there was a myth that spoke of the discovery of a ring that supposedly allowed the wearer of the ring to become invisible as they pleased. The philosophical question that arose from this myth was that whether or not people would choose to still do the right thing if nobody could see them. That was the question that arose from that. And in more modern entertainment, in many different forms, the idea of being able to be invisible has been used by villains and superheroes alike. And while the Word of God certainly does not suggest that we we are able to be physically invisible in any way, it does let us know that there is definitely a part of us that could be referred to as the invisible man. The invisible man. And that's my message this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is quick and powerful, that it's able to speak directly to our hearts. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would anoint me as I minister today, that you would remove every distraction. Lord God, that you'd bring our hearts and minds into submission. Lord, that we would have a desire to hear from you today. Lord, even through flawed vessels that you would speak to us, Lord God, and have your way in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. After King David has been confronted by the prophet Nathan regarding his sin of adultery, which he followed up with the sin of murder, his prayer of repentance is recorded in the 51st Psalm, which we've read one verse from. It's a very powerful Psalm. And in that Psalm, David confesses his sin. He owns his actions. He acknowledges his need for cleansing And as a part of that repentance, he makes the powerful statement speaking to God. He said, you desire truth in the inward parts, in the inward parts. The writer of Hebrews that we also read from states that when when we realize who it is that we are dealing with and the power of his word, we realize that absolutely nothing is hidden from God that we are naked and completely open before Him. This is not a declaration that we have failed to put on clothes or accidentally left the doors and the windows of the house open, open overnight, but rather it is a reminder that as the Lord chastened the prophet Samuel back in 1 Samuel 16, that man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. Amen. There have been times in my own personal life when I have interacted with men and women of God who 
seem by the Holy Ghost to be able to look into your soul. Anybody ever had that experience where you're talking to somebody and you just have that feeling that they walk with God in such a fashion that they can almost see exactly where your heart is at? And if your heart's not right, that's a very uncomfortable feeling. It's an uncomfortable enough feeling when your heart is right. And uh, But many of us have had that experience. But when we are talking about Jesus, we are talking about a completely different level. Because the scripture says that there is absolutely nothing that is hidden in his sight. Amen. Michael, could I have this far back down a little bit, please? I'm just bouncing myself into the back wall at the moment. Amen. There's absolutely nothing that is hidden from his sight. That's great, bro. Thank you. All the windows, if you like, and all the doors are open, and he can see into every room, every passageway, and every corner of our hearts and our minds. This is our invisible man. This is the inner man. Others may not see it, and if we're honest, we're often blind to much of it ourselves. We can dress it up. We can make it look sharp. We can even impress others with our external. But when Jesus looks into your heart and soul and my heart and soul, he sees every single detail. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but he knows all your PIN numbers. He knows all your passwords. He knows the balance in your bank account. So if you try to fudge your tithing, he knows. He knows all of your details. But those things really aren't that important to him because more importantly, he knows our hurts. He knows our shame. He knows the sins that remain unconfessed. He knows the attitudes that go unchecked. On the positive side of the ledger, he knows the fruit of the Spirit that are growing. He knows the others that are yet to sprout. And when we are completely alone, when we are all by ourselves, it is probably the time that we are closest to who we really are on the inside, to our invisible self. When we are in the presence of others, we naturally want to do and say the right things, or at least the things that are acceptable to those who we are with. There's something about us that automatically desires the approval of other people. And it's this factor of human nature that's why when we commit sin in secret that nobody knows about, it can paralyze us with fear of others finding out. And like David, we do everything we can to hide it because we don't want anyone to know. We are worried about what they will think of us. And when we make those decisions and make those mistakes, the enemy... The devil is very quick to use that fear to hold us hostage, to make us prisoners of our secret sins. If only we worried as much about other people finding out as we should about Jesus finding out. Because no matter how good a secret it is, Jesus sees it anyway. That's the thing. We, we deceive ourselves is as foolish as it is as a child to cover their eyes and believe that no one else can see them. It is just as foolish and ignorant for us to think that we can sin in secret and God doesn't know. Psalm 90 in verse 8 says, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee. Our secret sins are in the light of thy countenance. The things that we try so desperately to hide are in the light of his countenance. Or in other words, they are right before his face, fully exposed, spotlights on them. 
No matter how hard we try, hide those things, lock them away, the Lord sees them in broad daylight. Amen. Jesus drove this point home with the Pharisees. When they complained to him, they like to complain to him a lot. When they complained to Jesus that he and his disciples did not wash their hands properly before they ate dinner. They were quite horrified and they didn't even have COVID. But they, they were horrified that, that his disciples didn't wash their hands. And in Luke 11 and 39, it says, And the Lord said unto them, Now do you Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness, or greed and wickedness. In verse 40, he said, Ye fools, did not he that made that which is without make that which is within also? Amen. In another place, Jesus told them that it was what came out of a man's heart that defiled him, not how well they washed their hands before dinner. And we need to be reminded this morning that as easily as we see one another's outward appearances, Jesus sees the inner. Jesus sees the not-so-invisible man. And when we really understand, we grasp that our invisible side of us actually leaks out into our visible. No matter how well we think we hide it, thoughts and attitudes produce behaviors. The things we try to lock away, we don't want people to see, they, they, they leak out through the cracks. And when you're caught with your guard down or somebody says something that's a bit sharp or a bit harsh and it presses a pressure point and something comes out of us that we've been trying to suppress all along. We can only keep the invisible hidden to a certain point because that, you see, that, that is why Jesus reaches for our hearts. That is why he reaches right down into the very depths of who we are. It's not, it's not that he doesn't care about the outside or that he has no interest in what we say or do or even how we present ourselves. Rather, it is because Jesus knows that if he can reach my heart, he can begin to transform me from the inside out. If he can get past the facade that I'm so quick to present to everybody else, if he can push through that and get right down to the thought and the intent of my heart, he can transform my life. And he can transform your life as well. Because he reaches past the symptoms and he heads straight to the source of the disease, which is our sinful hearts. And as David said in the scripture that we read from Psalm 51, if he can get truth in our inward parts, then he will make us to know wisdom there. What does that mean? He's going to make us the most intelligent person in the room? No, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When truth gets into my heart and I realize that he sees everything I am and he can save me from my sin, I become wise when I begin to honor him. And I begin to respect him and I begin to say, God, how would you have me to live? What would you have me to do? Because when truth gets into your inward parts, wisdom is going to be there as well. Amen. The thoughts that started me down the path of preparing this message was when I was meditating on Matthew chapter 6, which is a part of what we now call the Sermon on the Mount. And as a part of that sermon, which holds so much incredible teaching. Jesus taught in chapter 6 about three important practices that would exist in the life of those that would be followers of God. 
later on would become, we would know them better as Christians. He spoke about giving, praying, and fasting. Giving, praying, and fasting. As Jesus taught on each of these three in chapter 6, he assumed that those that followed him would be participating in them. He said, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. He didn't say, if you're possibly considering it as an option. He assumed that people that followed him would give, pray, and fast. Amen. I thought it might get quiet when I said that. That's okay. But Jesus was adamant in his teaching that when we give and when we pray and when we fast, that we should never, ever do it to impress others with our visible man. But rather he spoke of discretion. He spoke of when we give, he said you should do it in a fashion that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. That's just a, that's actually not physically possible, I don't think. But, but what he was saying is it's an expression to communicate. You do it quietly, discreetly. He said that when we prayed, it should not be with great pomp and ceremony on street corners, but rather we should find a private place. We should shut ourselves in away from others and all other distractions and where it is just him and us. And he said, when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast, he said that you should do that without showing any outward signs of discomfort. He said, wash your face, put a smile on your doll. That's not King James, but that's what he said. He said, present yourself like any other day. Sometimes we fast and by morning tea we carry on like we're dying. Sometimes we were, I'm going to fast tomorrow and all of a sudden, you know, you never ate breakfast any other day of the week, but you wake up feeling a desperate need for breakfast. <laughs> Why is that? Because our flesh resists that restriction. It resists us putting it down and saying, you are being suppressed that I might draw closer to the God. Your appetite is being reined in that I might be a pursuer of the things of God. And after each of these instructions about giving, praying, and fasting, in Matthew chapter 6, if you want to read it later, it's in verses 4, 6, and 18. But at the end of each of that instruction, Jesus repeats the same statement three times. He says, And thy Father, which seeth in secret, himself shall reward thee openly. Each time when he says that, pray in the closet. Give discreetly. Don't let people know your fasting. If you'll do that the right way, your Father which sees what you do in secret will reward you openly. That which you do in invisibility, He will reward you in visibility. Amen. As we mentioned before, but when you meet somebody who just seems to have a connection with God, perhaps a man or woman of God who we feel like is able to look into our souls, or a brother or sister who's walking with God and has peace and joy in their lives and calm regardless of circumstance, you can be sure something is going on in secret. You can be sure that in that closet, that in that secret place, that part of them that is invisible, there is a prayer closet somewhere. There are days set aside in that life to fast and draw near to the Lord and they're probably giving to the Lord faithfully as well. 
And so what you are seeing is the result of a God who sees us in secret, rewarding us openly. Amen. Conversely, or the exact opposite of that is when there is a life that has no peace. When there is a life that is tossed around like a leaf in the wind, unable to shake the same old struggles. Falling back into the same sin repeatedly, I can just about guarantee that there is something missing in the secret place. Because there's no reward. Amen. The invisible man is not being affected by the invisible God. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, and many of you could quote it. If you can't, it's a great verse to memorize. But without faith, it is impossible to please God, to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. When we put this verse together with the statements in Matthew chapter 6 about what the Father sees in secret, we put those ideas together, it starts with faith. It starts with a genuine belief that produces an action starts with a genuine belief that produces a response. And from that beginning or that entry of faith, if you and I diligently seek Him, diligently seek Him, that talks about with purpose, with consistency, with priority. If we diligently seek Him, this is where the praying and the fasting and the giving come in. All of those actions are directly connected to seeking God. He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. How do we seek Him? We, if, if you've got any other way to seek Him and get close to Him without prayer and fasting, please let me know. Because I don't like fasting any more than anybody else. And my flesh doesn't like prayer and presents every possible distraction it can. If there's another way, I'm interested. But according to the Word of God, it takes prayer. It takes the pursuit of God. And when I will pursue Him, He is not just a rewarder, but He is also the reward itself of those who pursue Him in secret with a right spirit. He is the reward. He is what He is. When we pursue Him, He doesn't give you something that's from another category. He says, if you're pursuing me, I reveal myself to you. I am the rewarder and the reward. I am the one who sees in secret, who will reward you openly. Hallelujah. Jeremiah chapter 29, starting at verse 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and you shall seek me, and you'll find me. When? You shall search for me with all of your heart. The rewarder of them that diligently seek him. This passage is taken from a chapter which is talking about what will happen to Israel when they come back from captivity. And when you realize the mistakes you've made and you begin to seek me with all of your heart, then you'll find me. In the New Testament, Luke 11 and 9, Jesus said, And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Diligently seek Jesus. When Jesus said that our Father who sees in secret would reward us openly, 
He wasn't, you know, there's something about our brains when we think of reward. Where does our brain go? Material things. <laughs> you know, when somebody posts a notice about a missing dog and there's a reward, you may pay more attention looking for that dog in the neighborhood than if it's just, hey, have you seen my dog? No, sorry, bro, I haven't seen your dog. But if they love that dog and there's a $500 reward, you might just, I'm looking for the dog. Because there's something in us that likes that kind of reward, but the, the Lord's not talking about that. Now, he may bless you materially. He does that, but that's not what he's talking about. He's saying if you will seek him, he will reveal himself to you that you might be able to know him. That the more I want to know him, the more he wants to reveal himself to me. At the same time, the less I'm interested, the less he'll reveal himself to us. Acts chapter 4 and verse 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. When the disciples spoke before these leaders, without being offensive, their lack of formal education was obvious. They perceived they're ignorant and unlearned men. The way they spoke sort of revealed their background, where they came from. But there was something about them when they spoke that they, the impression that they made declared that they had been with Jesus. And when your invisible man is seeking Jesus in the secret place, it is not your qualifications that will be evident. It is that you have been with Jesus. Jesus. That's what other people will be able to tell. Amen. I have been privileged to travel in the kingdom of God. I've met brothers and sisters in remote places on the mission field in locations that most people have never even heard of. And people say, where'd you go? And I went here and they were like, oh, where's that? It's a bit like when Brother Frost tells me where he goes camping. There's no point. I've never heard of the place before. He always tells me, but I have to go looking for him. I don't know where it is. But I have met people in these remote places on the backside of the earth, so to speak. But after a few minutes in their presence, I become aware of my need to draw closer to the Lord. Because there's something about them that causes me to understand that they have a secret place with Jesus. That he has access to their invisible man. And even when we can't speak to each other without the assistance of an interpreter, there is just something about that person that I know that they've sought him in secret and he's rewarding them openly. I can feel in their spirit what God is doing in their lives. Amen. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus and he spent the first portion of the letter. It's the first sort of two or three chapters. They didn't use chapters. Paul didn't have them. They got put in later on. But he spent the first sort of half of the epistle declaring the goodness of God, declaring the mystery of the Jews and the Gentiles coming together as one church and how that mystery had been revealed. He spoke about it as being something that used to be hidden, but how now it was revealed. And he spoke of how it was because of the grace of God that we are all saved through faith and that how God had broken down the separation between us between Jews and Gentiles, and he had built his house, his church, upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. This is the, the momentum that Paul is building in the epistle. And Paul even went as far as to say that he didn't even consider himself worthy, 
but he knew that God had given him the responsibility to share this understanding with the Gentiles. He knew that his purpose in life, his calling, was to reach for those outside of the nation of Israel. And the Bible says he wanted to make all men see. But then in Ephesians chapter 3, and I want to start to read it, verse 14. I'm going to read a few verses here and then we'll come back. Verse 14 says, For this cause, all that stuff I was just talking about, for this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Somebody say, in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. To break that down a little bit, Paul said all that stuff I was talking about, how God has revealed the mystery of the Gentiles and how we're saved by grace and and all of that stuff. He said, that's the reason I pray. When he said, for this cause I bow my money, he said, I'm praying. I pray for the whole family of God. What was he praying for? He said that I'm praying that out of his unlimited supply, that Jesus would give you power through the Holy Ghost. And where would that power reside? He said that it would strengthen us where? In the inner man, in the invisible man. It's not going to give us muscles physically, but the power of the Spirit of God is going to put strength in the inner man. And that as he does that, that our faith would be anchored in Jesus. And that through that process that he would be able to dwell. He would be able to dwell. We're going to come back to that in a minute. He'd be able to dwell in our hearts, in our inner man. And that we would have strong roots that ground us or hold us in place in his love. And that we would know the love of God that passes knowledge. That seems like a contradiction. But what it's telling us is God wants us to know his love, but it cannot be known through knowledge like education. It's not a head thing. It's a relationship thing. It's a heart thing. It's what God wants to do within us and that we might be filled with everything that God wants to fill us with. That we might know height and depth and breadth and width. God wants us to experience as much of Him as we can. Amen. Amen. And the power that Jesus wants to put in our inner invisible man. It works in us so that things which are far beyond what we think is possible can happen. Now when we read that verse, we normally go signs and wonders, miracles, and that's true. God wants to do those. But the context is that it's working in us. That means that the things that you think about yourself that will never change, the struggles you think cannot be overcome, that aspect of who you are and your upbringing and whatever, fill in the blank, you kind of resign yourself to being stuck with that forever. But the Scripture says that the power of God that works in us is able to do beyond what we can imagine or think. 
And so I want to challenge you, you are not a prisoner to those things if the power of God dwells in you. Hallelujah. Too often we say, well, I'm just going to have to deal with that for the rest of my life. That is a lie. Amen. Amen. Let's try and bring this back to the beginning of this message and try to close the loop if I can. Jesus sees every single part of your heart and mine and my heart and mine. Nothing is hidden from him. Absolutely nothing. To the natural eye, to one another, we might get glimpses occasionally, but in a general sense, to the natural eye, it is invisible. Before him, it's high-definition clarity. It's Blu-ray, Brother Forrest. It's as clear as it comes before him. And there is power available that can take root in our inner man, in that which is naturally invisible, and that power can change us more than you and I can begin to comprehend or believe is possible. Amen. So if all that is true, and I believe that scripture, so I'm going to say it is, if all that is true, why are some people changed more than others? Why are some people transformed more than others? Now let me put a small disclaimer in here. Every one of us has a unique walk with God. Every one of us is at a unique place in our walk with God. We should not be measuring one another, comparing by each other. Amen. Because like children, we grow at different rates and we develop. God is our measuring stick. However, the answer to that question is found in Ephesians 3 and 17, which we read, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Jesus can see everybody's heart. You need to understand it this morning. He can see everybody's heart, every person, everywhere, every single detail. But there is a big difference between observation and access. There's a big difference between observation and access. There's a big difference between being able to see and being allowed to come in. They are not the same thing. Amen. In Revelation chapter 3, it's not on the slides, but in Revelation, the Lord uses the example of standing at the door and knocking at the door of somebody's life, at the door of their heart. He's using that that image of a building of a home to describe his desire to come in. And he says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Amen. Access to your heart has to be granted by you. Even if he can see it all, he does not access it all without your permission without your surrender. And sadly, there are some people who never open the door, regardless of how much he knocks. And then there are others who allow him to visit from time to time. He pops in for a coffee from time to time. And then there are those who want him to dwell there, who want him to make it his residence in their hearts. That's why different people grow at different rates sometimes. It's about 
willingness to grant access to the Lord. What we do here in this building is very, very important. Coming together to worship the Lord, encourage one another, hear the word of God, the gathering of the people of God together is an idea that comes from him. It's his idea. Most of his ideas are pretty good. But if what we do here is not flowing into Monday, flowing into Tuesday, flowing into Wednesday, if I don't take the word of God that I've heard in this place with me to that secret place and look for a way to apply it, look for a way to saturate my heart with his word and with his spirit, then Jesus is just a visitor, not a resident. There's a big, big difference. You know, when someone comes to your house, if you have an important guest come, maybe it's a, you know, the old-fashioned thing was to have your boss over for dinner. I don't know if anybody actually does that anymore. But if you had a, a special guest coming for dinner and it's the first time they've ever been to your home, what do you do? You clean the house. You put out the best tablecloth, the best crockery, all that stuff. You don't use that random set of plates that don't match that you've had. You know, we've got some that we got as wedding gifts. There's a few survivors in the set, but we don't have the whole sets anymore. You don't put those things out. All the dirty clothes get thrown in the wardrobe and the door gets closed. We try to convince them that our house is spotlessly clean like an operating theatre every day of the week. Not just when they come. And we put on this appearance hoping that we can make an impression until they leave. And when they leave, we put all the old plates back out and throw all the dirty clothes back on the floor. But when you have a friend or family members who you've known for many, many years, they come over, you don't clean anything. They can make their own coffee. We don't care if they see the old tablecloth. They know us, you know. There are some people that come over, you don't even bother to brush your hair. That's just so-and-so. You know, we've been friends since forever. Why? Because they actually know you. Jesus doesn't want to just visit from time to time. He wants to dwell. And when he begins to dwell, he's going to see the old crockery (laughs) and your dirty clothes and all that stuff, and he's not going to care because he's trying to anchor you in his love. And the things that you would hide from people you're worried about, he wants to transform those things. Amen. The scripture warns us in both Old and New Testaments not to harden our hearts. And what does that really mean? We use that expression, or don't harden your heart. What it means is if we harden our hearts, it means that we begin to limit access to our heart. We no longer desire Jesus to live there. His relationship with us becomes reduced to visitation only and can eventually fade to watching from a distance where he started from. We should not harden our hearts. If you want to have the kind of victory that Paul was talking about in Ephesians 3, where the power of his spirit would strengthen you in the inner man and he would do things in you that are beyond what you think are possible, he needs to dwell in your heart. He needs to have permanent access. He needs to know where the spare key is. He needs to know where all the details are in your heart. Amen. Jude chapter 1. And I'm nearly done. If I could have a musician, please. Jude chapter 1. 
verse 20. It says, But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. He's talking about the foundation of what we believe. He said you build on that. You build it up. You strengthen it. Praying in the Holy Ghost. How we strengthened with might in the inner man? By His Spirit. When we pray in the Holy Ghost and the Spirit of God flows through us, it builds up what we are on that foundation. It builds a house, it builds a residence that is suitable for Him to dwell in. Verse 21, which connects us back to Ephesians about His love. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Don't let your heart be hardened. Don't let situation and circumstance cause you to become resistant to the knocking of God's Spirit. But keep yourselves. It's it's not my job to keep you in the love of God. It's your job. It's my job to keep me in the love of God. I am responsible to pray in the Spirit, to build myself up on the faith that He's put in me and keep myself rooted and grounded in His love. Strengthened with the power of His Spirit in my inner man. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. We've got to get in that secret place. Saturate ourselves with His Spirit. Fill our hearts and minds with His Word. Get that strength and that if you're struggling with something this morning, if you feel like you're falling into the same old snare, I want to challenge you to examine the secret place. Is your altar warm from the sacrifice? Was it cold and dark? Because I promise you, your victory is there. If you will say, God, I open my heart. I grant you full access. Nothing hidden. Come in, God. Make your residence there. He will begin to saturate you with his love, with his spirit, and you will be anchored in that place and he will do things in you that you never thought were possible. Oh, hallelujah. Talking about the invisible man today. The invisible man. You know, we make the mistake of reading some scriptures and just assuming we get the meaning of it. I do. I know I do it all the time. Romans chapter 8, I'm not turning there. Stand with me if you would. Romans chapter 8 talks to us about how when we pray, the Spirit helps with our infirmities. And we understand that generally to mean that when we're not sure how to pray or what to pray or we don't have the right words, that as we pray in the Holy Ghost that that God guides that prayer and His will is prayed through us by His Spirit. And I believe that's absolutely true. But when I connect that verse with this verse in Jude, when I'm praying in the Spirit, He's helping me with my infirmities. He's working on those weaknesses and those flaws. And He's saying, come on, I can do exceeding abundantly beyond what you can even ask or think. But I've got to have that might I've got to have that power in my inner man. It's not enough to give the outside a makeover. I've got to swing open the doors and the windows and say, God, please come on in. Don't just sign the guest book, but take up residence in my heart today. Hallelujah. I want to challenge you this morning. 
What's the condition of your inner man? It's all right if it's invisible to others, but what does he see when he walks past and looks through the windows and the doors? Are you saying, Lord, please come in. Please don't stay outside. Please come in. Please change me. See my infirmities, Lord. Let your spirit help me with my infirmities. If you want to present yourself to him this morning, these altars are open. Remember, he desires truth in the inward parts. The one with whom we have to do everything is naked and open before him. There's not a lot of point in hiding. (laughs) There's not a lot of point in pretending. But why don't we just come and say, God, come into my life again. Lord, dwell there. God, I don't just want to visit you on Sunday mornings. God, I want you to live in my heart. I want those roots to go down deep. Lord, your love to overflow. So, Lord, as we build ourselves up, praying in the Holy Ghost, Lord, let it saturate us. Let it soften our hearts. Let it bring forth that transformation. You're frustrated with the lack of change. Build an altar this morning. Say, God, I want my secret place. Lord, where nobody sees and nobody hears. Hallelujah, Jesus.